Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Chris Evans here, and welcome to the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky. Coming up on this episode, the one and only Liam Gallagher swaggers in on the release day of his brilliant new album, Come On, You Know. Marvel superhero Simu Liu tells us his own origin story in his brilliant memoir, We Were Dreamers. The Dynamite, Bryce Dallas Howard, reveals all about the final mammoth film in the Jurassic World franchise, Jurassic World Dominion. This franchise has currently Taken $5.1 billion and counting. And the marvellous Mo Gilligan lifts the lid on late night laughter ahead of the new series of The Late Ish Show on Channel 4. All of that and so much more to come. Aussie Jane, kick things off. Who's first? This former accountant turned blockbuster superhero burst into cinemas last year with Marvel's Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. His book, We Were Dreamers, is out today and tells his own origin story. Swapping the Hollywood Hills for our London view, it's Simu Liu. Good morning, Simu. Welcome to the top of the tower. It is so great to be here, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. What a story. Uh, It's beautifully written. It's very funny. It's very touching. It's very emotive for so many reasons. Uh, Let's fast forward um, right to uh, the end of the book. Then we'll go back and then we'll have a lucky dip uh, somewhere in between. (laughs) Sure. Let's go to the final audition of you auditioning for the role of Shang-Chi, for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm -hmm. So the second audition, you say, I can recall pieces of what happened in the room. My reader, Molly's auburn hair, Sarah a smile. Destin, the director, nodding his head in approval, but it all went by in a blur. I think at some point I threw my pages away and just invented a scene in my head. I didn't know one thing, however. Beyond any reasonable doubt, it was the best audition I'd ever done. How did you know that? Oh, man. It's uh, it's it's just the energy in the room, you know. I, I remember, so, so that passage in the book refers to the callback audition that I did in Los Angeles at Serafin's casting offices. Serafin, of course, is the famous... Legend. The legendary casting yep. director of all of the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe movies, but I remember I, I was meeting Destin for the first time, and it's that spark that happens when you when you found not only your director but your collaborator, and you know th- that thing that I said about throwing away the pages at one point and just inventing a scene. That's totally true because Destin saw that I was um, I was you know on book, I was reading off the page, and he was like, "Great." just throw away the pages and just say whatever you feel like saying. And, and we invented, we improved and, and we played around. And, and by the end of it, I was like, I've never experienced that in an audition room before. And I started to really feel nervous because before then, I mean, you're auditioning for a Marvel movie. You know, I, I don't know how many tens of thousands of people <laughs> had sent in their tapes. So it was really the first time that I was like, oh, geez, I think I might actually have a shot. Which means I also have a chance to mess it all up. Yeah. And that made me, oh. Yeah, don't overthink it. Don't get in the way of yourself. Uh, that's yeah, totally. very important, isn't it? But of course, it wasn't the first time you've played a superhero. Uh, <laughs> it's, it happened so many times in the past. You're a superhero children's entertainer. Yes. Tell yes. us about those days. Well, it was one of those It was one of those Joe Jobs that you take on. Do you say Joe Jobs in, in Britain? We do now. Excellent. We do now. <laughs> I'm making it happen. Um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, during my struggle years as an artist, of course, I'm trying to do everything I can to stay afloat and um, you know being being a Spider-Man a dress up Spider-Man for kids birthday parties uh, as it happens pays pretty decently uh, it's pretty flexible you know <laughs> you, you get a lot of weekends and um and so, and so, yeah, I, uh, I I signed up with a company, and you know, for the most part, it's really fun. Like when when you know you have these parents whose children are about five or six, like before they start to realize that you're not the actual superhero. <laughs> you said five is, is five is the, the the party you want. You want a fifth birthday party? Oh my god, yeah, five is great. There are some parents that just do not understand how their children develop, yeah, and will 
invite a spider-man to come to their kids like eight or ninth birthday yeah. and that's that's no good that's no good because the kids know they're just like uh, why are you doing this they this, can see I, the velcro they can see the velcro exactly <laughs> they know there's a man behind there that just like is probably just as miserable yeah. as they are and and below below sort of five they want a clown or something but five is it five is the age oh five is the magic you, you can have them at five yeah 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 they will believe like you can feel their belief that you are spider-man <laughs> and uh and and the the only reason you're not shooting webs right now is because you don't want to you don't want to you know mess up the, yeah. the home yeah what mum's done to prepare the party and then before um the, the kids superhero uh window there was super frosh super frosh tell us yeah. about super frosh oh my god you really have read my book but can i just say how crazy that feels because it's one thing to say i've seen your movie and, and I, I always feel very very happy about that but a book is i mean it's such an intimate thing so thanks all of you guys I'm for, the only one for reading it. it the other two claim they've read it but they, uh, they're, they're just pretending yeah, i'm doing all the heavy lifting that's fair here, that's fair always. but i get the big book so that's that's all yeah, right. yeah yeah but the super frosh was um was this talent show in my freshman year of college and it was really like i say in my book it's my first kind of brush with fame and i was coming off of a you know a, a, a pretty pretty mediocre high school experience as so many of us have but uh, it was this opportunity for me to redefine myself and i remember i was sitting in the bleachers with all of these other freshmen and um and they were like come come and show your talents on on the stage and you know people were coming up and just doing absolutely nothing like one guy <laughs> threw a chair that was his talent and so i was like look i don't yeah I, i'm gonna give it a shot right so i went up and i did like a backflip and i remember everyone was like going crazy well you saw a parting of the ways didn't you you yes, saw a yes, space yes. on the floor you thought i'm gonna have that i'm gonna take up that space yes very profound, yeah, very yeah, profound, yeah, yeah. and and that ended up, be, you know, I ended up being one of the finalists, and then I I, I wound up on stage in front of the entire student body at one point, uh, dancing and singing for some reason, and then I won the super frosh, and I was like that guy on campus. For... Yeah, but you cho you say you chose. I mean, you know, I think you'd be very modest, but you, you say you chose a song that everybody joined in with, so maybe you nailed the song, the song choice uh, as opposed to the singing. I suspect it was a lot of both. Thank you. I will take that. Okay, you know, your book ends on a sort of cliffhanger. In a way, uh, I can I sense another one um, is, is in the office. I can't wait to read it. By the way, it's a great story, man. I know we've only touched we've only touched on the surface here, but it's such a beautiful story. Um, what do you think is going to happen in the next few years to you in your career and your life? Um, well, I'd love to make another one. Right. Uh, I think I think there's probably an, a little bit of demand in the world for that. <laughs> I think there might be. Um, but I think um, you know I think being at this point in 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 my life and and in in, in having Shang Chi you know introduced to the world as you know the first lead Asian superhero in the Marvel universe, I think it occupies a very very unique space. And I think I want to kind of continue to use that platform to be a voice for for our community. It's one that historically maybe hasn't been given a lot of visibility, a lot of voice. And so I, I want to kind of continue to take up space and, and also to hopefully to open up that space and, and bring other people on board as well. Uh, great to meet you, man. Thank you so You're much for having me. You're welcome anytime. Great book. This is a great book uh, for you, for the kids uh, to read. It's a great story. It's got some great lessons in it. It's very candid. It's very vulnerable. It's so cool. Thank you. Simu Liu, We Were Dreamers, an immigrant superhero origin story. It's okay. on the New York Times bestseller list. Well, wouldn't it be? I'd be surprised if it wasn't. <laughs> it would be a crime against literature, my friend. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. This is Liam Gallagher, everybody. <laughs> All right. Buzzing, mate. Where did it all go wrong? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Where did it all go wrong with no split band up? <laughs> How has it been? This, I mean, did you ever expect a week, a 10 days, a couple of weeks, a fortnight, like you're in the middle of now? Yeah, no. It's, well, no. I'm more excited about City winning the league more than Deb with Ford, any of that other stuff. But, you know, what a precursor. And the album. What yeah. album? I mean, come Bothered. on. No, but seriously, you know, it's like the stars, the stars have aligned for you before. Yeah. But never like, I don't think yeah. anyway, never like the no, last No, no, it's exciting times. City winning the league, album coming out. Got these gigs at the Etihad and Nebworth and I, all good, man. Life is good, man. And that's why there'll be, there shall be no complaining from me. Now, I've, I've watched the, uh, the Rockfield documentary, which is awesome on Sky. Mm. Um, and in that, you did say you were going to tone down and dial up. So tone down... Ahead of Nebworth and Etihad and yeah. the, the, the big gigs, yeah. uh, what may not be so great for your new professionalism, right? Uh, and dial up what might be. However, that's just gone a little bit. Yeah, no, no, that didn't happen. I was doing well until 
well, I was doing well until the West Ham game, and then I kicked off because we <laughs> didn't win it. And then it was the following game against Villa when we won it. Um, yeah, you've got to have a drink when you win the league, aren't you? You know what I mean? So... So now I've got to get my head together very quick. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm glad, in a sense, we're not in the Champions League. And that's not me. I mean, for me, I'm glad we're not because the Etihad gig would be off. I'm probably never because I'd still be in Palace having it. But you see, so, I mean, 1st of June on Wednesday, the fact that you're playing... The Etihad sold out before yeah. Nebworth, back yeah. to back, sold out. It's a good warm up gig, man. You know, in the year of your 50th. But it's going to be like a double celebration on Wednesday, isn't it? For, for everybody going because of the footy, because of life in general, lockdown, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. No, it would have been a bit, I mean, it still would have been amazing if, you know, but it would have been a bit down like, if we got beat. But um, no, it's going to be top, man. And um, that's why you've got to look after yourself and stay away from the nutters. And um, until until the last night in Nebworth, I was going to say. Um, but then you say that I say that I said, "Oh, I'm going to get big, man." The last night in Nebworth, I'm going to get big. It just I've, I think I've had my big nights. You know what I mean? Wow. Like, you, like you think you're going to get so big, and it's going to be the biggest party ever. And you have a couple of drinks, and it's like, go to bed, man. Uh, so never, never say never, though. Uh, no, so no, I'll give it a good go. Because you know, watching Rockfield, and you know. The, the, without getting too nerdy and technical about it, but your register, you know, vocally, you're up there all the time, aren't you? That's that's how you that's how you work. You give it all the beans all the time, pretty much always at the top of the register. How how's that going to be? So you got you're going to go massive on Wednesday? No, I'm not going massive. No, I'm I'm scarping. <laughs> no, no, to do the gig Wednesday. No, but the gig from a gig point of view. I'm talking oh about, yeah, on yeah, stage. yeah. Well, it's, yeah. I hear a lot of people go, oh, you know, he sings, he screams, and shouts, and all that. So I call it, you've got the records for all the beautiful bits. You know what I mean? But when you've got Marshall guitars behind you and a drum kit, and then you've got loads of people in front of you singing and that, you know what I mean? There's only one way in, and it's a two-footed challenge. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you've just got to get above the clouds and go for it. There's no time to be sitting there using whatever it is. Your diam, what is that word? Diaphragm. All that nonsense and just singing like a little angel. That goes out. The window you just got to sing like a lunatic until it's done and, that's the um, way it is for me anyway and, and will all this will all the set list be the same uh, for, for all the gigs or are you going to chop and change no i'm not going to change it because it's a good set list man so it's like 10 oasis five new songs maybe four and um, six like some of the, of the other solo stuff but i just think you start changing it you know people sort of just give them the old give people the old experience you know what I mean you'll get one person going oh I didn't hear that one so I can't be doing with the whinging man right so so Friday your mum's going to be at Nebworth you talked about she, this already yeah she's coming because she wasn't at the last the last ones and that obviously my kids weren't there so they're going to be there and so it's going to be nice man but I'll keep my head down for that one get home get back to the hotel and have a chill and then the next night get on it <laughs> I still want to be there on Saturday <laughs> oh, yeah, well, come. Uh, i got to come i got to yeah. come I wasn't going to come I've no got to come man it's I'm going to tell my wife there's nowhere else to come. be man I mean whatever's going to happen is going to happen but it's going to be big man okay it's going to be awesome um, where will your mum watch Friday from where will she be uh, well, she'd uh, she'll probably be at the side of the stage man because if she goes out the front I think I guess, I guess she'd get my and she's getting old now and that but I might even get her on anyway, see what's going down. But you never know, man. She's once she gets a little bit of brandy in her man, she you know you know what I mean? She could be down the front man, poking. I remember once I clipped me, I had a clean at this house. And we'd done Wembley Stadium and um I looked up and the cleaner's coming across the housekeeper is coming across the uh the barrier. Hey Liam! Liam, Mr. Gallagher, you sound so good. And she'd then she'd fall down in the barrier, run back round and keep doing that, and I'm going, like, she's better. <laughs> put the dishwasher on, man. But yeah, so who knows? Your man might just go for it. And um, will you will you take her home? Will you yeah, escort her home? Yeah, man. Me and Debbie will be behaving ourselves on uh, the first night, so we'll get straight off back to the hotel, have breakfast with her the next morning, get her on the train sharpishly, and then uh, then we're back down there. Um, so Wednesday yeah. in Manchester, what time will you set off from the hotel? Will it be a hotel? Do you have a house there? I don't know. So we're going up on a Tuesday. And uh, no, I haven't got an house in Manchester now, so we'll be in an hotel. I'll just get there about half an hour before we go on, so I don't have to be like using this too much. You know what I mean? Like you get there all day and everyone's asking you, and then you know questions and buzzing and all that, and you don't want to seem miserable. So I sort of just get there, have a brandy, and uh, warm my voice up, and then straight on and let's see where we're at. Right. So uh, so so fast forward to five days later, because it is going to be a Wednesday to, to Saturday. So, and then, got, so then we scarp back to yeah. Wednesday, back home. Yeah. Thursday, back down to Nebworth. I'll do the same again. Get there about half an hour before we go on in the helicopter. <laughs> you got There's plenty right. of things that could go wrong now I'm thinking about it. Do you know what I mean? I don't think about it too much. Uh, so we get there, yeah. 
Yeah, have another brandy. Do warm up. Steam on. Right. Steam off. And is there, is there a venue um, already sorted for post Nebworth, say, Sunday morning, 3am, 4am, or are you going to stay on the site? On no, site? we're going to stay on the site and have a bit of a party there. And that, he but, um, might be there. Have you got pals coming? Yeah, I mean, everyone's going to be there. I mean, I don't know who, everyone's coming. Yeah. And all the bands and stuff and that, and um, my family and that. But I've not been taking care of the, uh, the guests. There's someone else does it, and that. Um... Do you have that thing that you two do where they have they have one party? So they have a backstage party, after party. There's one after party, which is for like two or three hundred people, and right. they all think that's it. Those people, right? And there's another one for friends right. and family, and then there's another one for the band. Do you have that sort of funnel of? I'm not. I'm not. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not. Party's a party, isn't it? Yeah, you know what I mean? All that, <laughs> all that nipping about food that all like. Oh, there was one. I hate. No, I'm not into that. You'd either have one or it's one or the other. But I will do that. And then I've got another I've got a gig then five days after. So yeah. I can't go too mad, you know what I mean? Liam, fantastic to see you. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, nice one, man. Congratulations on not just one album out, but two. Yeah, two. Awesome. Good man, nice one. Thanks everyone. Have a great weekend. We've got to go. Nice Rock one. and roll yeah. with Liam Gallagher. Cheers, man. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. This actor-director has played a part in some of the world's biggest franchises, including everyone's favourite dinosaur movies. The rawsome Jurassic World Dominion hit cinemas from Friday 10th of June and on the line to Pterodact Tell Us More, it's the T-Rexcellent Bryce Dallas Howard. Good morning, Bryce! Hello, good morning. <laughs> T-Rexcellent, I Come love that. Come on, Bryce. Come on, only the best for you. Um, <laughs> I saw you giggling to the um, Liam Gallagher clip just before the break there. Do you know who Liam Gallagher is? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's funny. That's a great documentary. I know that sometimes you have time I on your hands. I haven't seen the documentary, oh, though. Oh, mate, it's great. It's on Sky at the moment. It's so cool. Uh, yeah, Bryce, as is your film, I haven't seen it, but Ozzy Jane there, who gave your intro, has seen it, and she hasn't stopped talking about it, but she's told me too much because it's embargoed. It's embargoed, isn't it, review-wise, for a while. Um, yes, So yes. I, I don't know what we can mention, and I don't know what we can't. So if I get it wrong, I'm just going to blame Jane and you. Is that okay? Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, right. classic. So we're six <laughs> movies in now, uh, two trilogies, and this, we think, is the final part of the second uh, Jurassic-themed um, tr- trilogy, so the Jurassic World trilogy, and it therefore is the most special. You know, you've, you've been in and around this world now for a good few years. Um, how special do you think it is? How special was it to you? Obviously, it has a unique quality to it as the the two worlds collide, but I'm not sure how much we can say about that. What do you think? Yes, no, we can. We can. Um, What I love so much about Jurassic World Dominion is that it's the culmination of 30 years of storytelling and, um, and, and not just any story. It's a story that is captured global attention for decades. And so, uh, and in addition to that, for me, it's particularly meaningful because it's, it is also the culmination of, you know, the last eight years of my life. And so this, this movie is the finale. It's like, if you have a fireworks display and, and it's fantastic, but then in the last minute or so you know you just they just throw all the am- <laughs> ammo at it like that's what this movie is meant that's to be. a great way to describe it. i'm sure you said it before but thank you for saying it again on this show that's that... so chris pratt chris, i'm, oh, I'm yeah. here representing uh uh new new father chris pratt who um, he always says that. And I was like, that is exactly what it is. Yeah, because I get it now. I so get it. Because it is funny, isn't it, when the, the fireworks, when they, you think, hang on a minute, they've just burnt 99% of the budget in the last 0.99 of a second on that firework display. But this yeah. is awesome. So already uh, Jurassic Park is currently the fourth biggest franchise in movie history. You know, it could obviously... Uh, ascend further from that. It doesn't need to. It's not a competition that needs to be won. But you're eight years in. I mean, I, I think that, you know, what do I know? But that sounds about perfect to me. Any longer, uh, you and it may overstay its welcome. Um, any shorter and then still work to be done and fun to be had. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm certainly not the judge of that. But what I would say is, is that the arc that my character has gone through feels really complete. Yeah. Like, I feel, I feel really good about where Claire has ended and the resolve of this character. Um, and, uh, and, and there are also other characters that get introduced in this film and actors who have, you know, extraordinary, very worthy stories to tell that have yet to be told. So, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, 
this this is the completion for um, for many of the characters, but not all necessarily. Yeah, it's so cool um, because I've been in this business a bit like you did for like a thousand years. Um, I was invited to the first premiere back in '93 of the original Jurassic Park film um, with some of your now co-stars in it. And what's really annoying for me is that they look younger now than they did then, and that's just not fair, Bryce. No, I mean it's unbelievable. Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, Sam Neill, they are all like Benjamin Button. They're aging backwards, <laughs> so you, you are correct. And they're all at the top of their game. I mean, that that's what was so... Oh, it's annoying! Like, <laughs> Chris and I were so, so excited to work with them because they are legends and icons. But then when we got there, we were like, oh my God, this is a master class <laughs> in, in acting. Honestly, it was just incredible, incredible. I, I want to tell a quick story. Go ahead, go ahead. On go behalf ahead. of Sam Neill, because he, he mentioned um, at one point that he remembered <laughs> at the premiere of, of Jurassic Park that was here that you were at, uh, he was sitting next to his son um, on one side and then on the other side, Princess Diana. Yeah. And during the the screening, uh, his son started farting so much. And he was like, Princess Diana thinks I'm farting next to her. <laughs> what am I going to do about this? And he just like, couldn't, he was like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. This is the worst thing ever. I'm finally sitting next to Princess Diana. So anyway, I just wanted to say that. <laughs> what, what was the cause of the bobarygmy, the gaseousness in the the young being a child? Just being a child. That was it. Was being it being a child? Maybe, yeah. Maybe you know, too, their maybe, digestive systems are still coming online. Yeah, maybe too much free Pepsi. Sam Neil, a one of the nicest blokes in the world. B um, one of the not undervalued uh, actors in the world, but one of the most understated acting geniuses in the world. Don't you think? Fact. Absolutely. He is such a remarkable individual and such an immense talent and he's a lot of fun as well yeah. he's so 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 much fun but i love he, him he's the he, best. he all seems to have time do you know what i mean time on screen time in scenes time off screen when you interview him he seems to have nothing but time he always comes uh, you know he's and he's so relaxed he's always ahead of time he's also uh, he gives everybody good eyes you know and then you you see him in various films and his ranch in australia he's got time where's he got all this time from man <laughs> he's a, well he's a very he's a very present guy i agree you know? and and that might be inherent that might be something that he's worked on it might be a fact that he's a kiwi like who knows right yeah, yeah, yeah. but he yeah. is he's he's just he's one of the best guys oh, ever yeah. and he was the one because i had met laura and met jeff but i had never met sam yeah and so i was sort of the most nervous around Sam because I also find him incredibly handsome with all the respect in the world to my wonderful husband. Yeah. Um, but Sam is really sexy. So, um, so it was it was exciting getting to work with him and get to know him and become friends with him. Yeah, I'm just fanboying if you don't mind, you know, because they are they are legends, aren't they, these people? They are all such a blast. It's such a fun group. It's insane. And you know what I realized during the shooting is I was like, ooh, they're all extroverts. I don't know if they identify as extroverts, but it feels like that. And so, yeah, just just getting to getting to work with them and be with them and hang out with them and and like watch Laura go through her process and bringing this character from essentially 30 years ago to now. It was inspiring. It was exciting. Um it was amazing. Well, it's been a, an utter joy to talk to you this morning, Bryce Dallas How Great. Uh, good luck to, to, to you and to your team and all the fans are looking forward to it. Jurassic World Dominion, it's the, we think for, we think it's the final um, uh, episode in the franchise, the two trilogies in cinemas Friday, 10th of June. Have a great day. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. He's a judge on The Masked Singer. He hosted this year's Brit Awards. He's soon fronting The Big Breakfast and The Late Night Telly Chief is about to kick off his third series. The latest show with Mo Gilligan returns tonight at 10pm on Channel 4. Here to fill us in again, it's Mo Gilligan. Yeah, Yay. Mo Gilligan. 
Good Thank morning. You so much. That was a lovely introduction. She's Thank very you so good, much. isn't she? That's, that uh, was amazing. Ozzy J Live Direct. You can borrow her if you like. You can borrow her. Uh, the latest show, I saw tonight's episode in a very sneaky director's cut um, last night. So good I watched it twice. Literally, I have to get a better half past seven. I thank don't you. have time to watch the show once. I watched it twice. No, it's so funny, man. Oh, thank you, Chris. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, we, we put a lot into the show. And um, yeah, you know, I, I think I, I always wanted to make a show that like the end of the week, you can end your week, but start your weekend. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, glad you like it, man. It's so much more than a chat show though, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, I was definitely inspired by a lot of American like late night shows, but I kind of wanted to have like a British twist on it, but also like, I, I don't know, I just feel like if I just done chat, I don't, I don't think I'd be using all my skills. Do you know what I mean? So we have a lot of music and items in the show as well. Yeah, I mean it's your yeah, skills, yeah. but also it's your joy. I mean, oh, you know, thank you. chat shows can be obviously they're they're great. I love it. You know, at their best, there's there's no finer telly, but you can't really get that much joy through a chat show. You can get uh, intelligent, you can get loud, you can get fun, you can get humour, but your show is joyous, Mo Gilligan. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. That's our blueprint. We we just want to bring joy. So we want to feel like if you're watching it at home, you're there in the room with. Us. So, yeah, I hope he was with, with, with us in the room. <laughs> I, was like, in, I, was, that. Well, I was in bed, but <laughs> I was laughing so loud. My wife came to me because she sleeps in the other room. She said, What yeah. are you laughing at? I said, yeah. You've got to watch the show with Mo Gilligan tonight. Oh, and so, so we started, I, and because I'd watched the show already, I was. I said, I, I started with the end with yeah. the show off. Yes. And uh, people who've never seen it will have no idea what I'm talking about, but I actually don't care. And, um, and then we went for um, uh, uh, Reply or Deny which yeah. is hilarious. Uh, you have a Top Gun special Reply or Deny. For people who don't know, yes. what is Reply or Deny? So Reply or Deny, you know, we, we get members of the public to ask the questions. They've always wanted to ask a celebrity and that celebrity can either reply to a question or deny a question. And it's so funny because some of the questions that some of the celebrities <laughs> or members of the public will ask, you're like, oh, that is a really... Well, oh, I would never have asked those questions. Well, you can't, can you? Yeah, but also because we're in this space of like entertainment, we were always going to ask them about, oh, so you've done this film and stuff yeah. where some of them just ask of like, so uh, am I going to be late for my flight? And you're like, okay, you've got a Hollywood superstar and you're going to ask them if you're going to make it to check in or not. But it's it's lovely, man. It's nice to see. Okay, so you know? tonight's guests who are on the other end of Reply or Deny, Michael McIntyre, top boy actor and musician Ashley Walters, a comedian and loose woman Judy Love, who is just off the off the charts oh, funny, isn't she? She's yeah. so funny. And so so you have the Reply or Deny in the audience, but then because John Hamm is with you sort of uh, remotely because of the Top Gun um, um, Maverick uh, sequel this week, you have people at an airport yeah. and you have John Ham, and it seems like there's a live link. There must have been a live link. <laughs> no, it's live, it's live. You could, because yeah, I thought, yeah, how yeah. are they doing this? Yeah. So you got people, so you're continuing the Top Gun theme at Luton Airport. Yes, which that's it. It's hilarious. Oh, my guy, I'm so glad you've seen that, you know. Of course. <laughs> Such a great take on it. And then John Ham's <laughs> in his hotel room or wherever he's doing this press junket, but it's live, and you got these crazy um, reply or deniers who are on, you know, they're on their own. Um, uh, they're on a high of their own natural supply. Mm. And he's like, what the heck is that? What, what am I being yeah. asked here? <laughs> yeah. It's great. And there's two girls off on a Hindu. And there's yeah. one guy. Oh, it's just so yeah, funny. Yeah, one girl's like, all right, big Johnny. <laughs> it's so funny. It's, you haven't seen it yet, have you? I haven't seen it. I never watched the cut. I never watch it when it until it goes out on 10 o'clock until everyone's watching it and tweeting it. So I never I never get to see well, it. Well, you will not be yeah. disappointed, my oh, friend. Oh, wicked, man. Oh, And then there's Nursery Grimes. Yes. For people who don't know, describe Nursery so Grimes. So Nursery Grimes is where we get a famous track um, and you have to sing it in the style of a nursery rhyme. So uh, one that I always use an example, we had Jessie J on the show and she sung, um, what did she sing again? She sung Old MacDonald in the style of Whitney Houston, um, I Will Always Love You. And like we have a live band and we sometimes we put the lights down. Um, yeah, like we've had some really cool renditions and it's, it's really nice because you get to see a lot of celebrities kind of... Um, yeah, just like they they they're able to be laughed at, and we can laugh with them. Yeah, and but then some people some smash people take it. it really seriously as well. Uh, so, top boy actor and musician Ashley Walters, he's on tonight with his nursery grime, yeah. right? So he goes first, and it's phenomenal. <laughs> what he does is phenomenal. And Michael McIntyre has to go and hide. <laughs> he literally goes to hide, and he says. 
I, I can I go home now? I, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to follow that, but he does. He has a go. He does. He? he has a good one. Yeah, he's really good. All right, and then uh, Judy Love, uh, she smashes it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going on there? Yeah, I think with Nursery Grimes, I feel like Nursery that's the Grimes one. That's so funny. That, uh, that's probably the one part of the show that I feel like all my guests are like, yeah, can we get all this out of the way because I'm ready to sing <laughs> Humpty Dumpty in the style of like Sean Humpty Paul. Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Sean Paul's on the show tonight as well. Yes, we got Sean Paul, the legend of uh, short short. Paul, lovely guy. Um, and yeah, he's like really involved in the show. He was a big fan of myself and the show. So yeah, it's nice because sometimes you can get people come on the show and they haven't got a clue what's going on. You've got to explain it. But he was, yeah, he done rehearsals and stayed back behind. Yeah. Bro, yeah. Great to see you, man. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris, man. It's always a pleasure your coming on your show, show man. Your show is awesome. If you've never seen Mo's show, it's on tonight. It's called The Latest Show. It's on uh, Channel 4 at 10 o'clock and it's off the charts good. It's just as good as Telly gets. Goodbye. Ah, oh, thank you. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. So we've heard from our first half of incredible guests already, but still to come, the hilarious Ardlow Hanlon flicking through his sublime second novel, Brew Ha Ha, Wonder Woman, Professor Dame Sarah Gilbert and Dr. Catherine Green OBE tell all in their book Vaxxers, the inside story of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine and the race against the virus. It's the paperback catch-up edition. Award-winning chef Angela Hanna shares mouth-watering recipes from her first cookbook in 10 years. It's brilliant. It's called The Weekend Cook. It's my favourite. And F1's finest, David Crofty Croft, revs us up ahead of the Monaco Grand Prix. Plus, New York Times bestselling author Arthur C. Brooks flew all the way from over the pond just to see us. Dropping pearls of wisdom from his 12th book, From Strength to Strength. And it's already a new New York Times bestseller. So let's get right back to it. Aussie Jane, here's next. In the past week, he starred in the Derry Girls finale, admitted to stealing from the Father Ted set and opened a salon on Taskmaster. I could go on, go on, go on. Here with his novel Brouhaha, out this Thursday. He's not small. He's certainly not far away. It's Ardalo Hanlon. Good morning, Ardal. Good morning. I was following the penguin discussion with great interest. What did you think? I love penguins. And I would vote for the penguin. Uh, they, they, they can survive at temperatures of minus 40 and plus 40. Yeah. Not I think the, if people knew that, yeah, I they think would it's vote very, in their droves. Um, but they're like, they're free range. They're open running in, I mean, they're, you know, they're in confines of London Zoo. That may, that may have gone to get a gun against Ozzy Jane the fact that Ziggy's in a zoo in London Ziggy yeah. shouldn't really be in a zoo uh, in no, London yeah, nor should Ozzy Jane to be honest <laughs> Um, Ardell, uh those facts that have come out this week, this is because you're on the rounds with your book, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, busy yeah. morning so far this morning? Uh, a bit busy, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, going around talking about my book, which I'm very happy to do. I'm happy to talk about anything else either. <laughs> no, which is great. It's part of the deal, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but Bruhaha, not your first novel, but your second. My second. And I've written hundreds of novels under the pseudonym Elena Ferrante. But uh, uh, yeah, it is my second novel. 25 years in the making. Um uh, quite a long gap um, but I just I wanted to get it right and uh, I wanted to make sure I had the right story and a story I really wanted to tell because it's a big commitment writing a book I know uh, but you did have the time because lots of it had lots of us had lots of time because of you know what yeah yeah and it was a godsend to be honest with you like I started the novel about six or seven years ago and I had a pretty good draft and then I got sidetracked uh, I got this really nice job in the Caribbean with um, the BBC <laughs> Death in Paradise so I had to park it and I was I was reluctant to leave it because I was really enjoying <laughs> it at the time so it took the pandemic to come along when I had nothing else to do and I was trapped in Dublin. Right. We weren't allowed to leave the house, never mind the country. Yeah. And uh, it, it gave a great sense of structure to my day and, and uh, focus to my life. It was brilliant to Is have Is that it. why you left Death in Paradise then? Uh, no. It was because no, it sort of suggested that you had done, I thought you just wanted to move on anyway because Ralph Little did it after. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean like I'd done four summers of that. Which is fun, which is fun. Which and, is a lot yeah. and it was great. It was like a, 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 an amazing experience. One by of any the standards. best jobs on the telly, I would imagine. No, it's a great job I, I, um, and I loved every minute of it but it, it like it takes its toll eventually because you're working away from home and you're working in these... It's very hard to get this across to people. I know. Literally not one single person yeah. ever, ever believes me. Really takes its toll this paid in paradise gig. Sorry, death in paradise gig. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but it's actually, you know, it is actually quite demanding and and, 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 you, and you work in excessive heat and humidity and, uh, um, you know, it's... <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Okay. It was brilliant. It was. It was. It was. Yeah. We just lounged around. Just tell it. us about the decision process in giving that up. I mean, was it was it always a? Because I suppose it might help to have a plan going into something like that. Otherwise, you might just sort of get stuck in the sunshine, mightn't you? Well, I have never had a plan. That's At basically all. my. I don't know if it's a problem or what. I've literally never had a plan. I've drifted from one job to the next. I've always been very restless. Always been very curious. I would say quite ambitious. And, you know, I love the variety. I love live comedy. I love acting. You know, I love writing. I love all those things. And ultimately, for me, it's all boils down to the same thing. It's telling stories. You know, this is how we navigate our way through life. This is why we life. can talk, isn't it? That's yeah, we talk and we share stories and we learn from each other. And, you know, we, we boil our experiences down into whatever, you know, whatever medium that you choose to use. And, you know, and, and for me, writing was always... It's always where it's always the starting point. So whether you're writing a joke or whether you're writing a novel, it's the same thing. You sit in front of your desk, in front of a blank page, and you 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 d- dig deep into your into your own soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's a bit dramatic. No, I like it though a lot. I like it a lot. Uh, you didn't dig deep when you set up the comedy cellar in Dublin because your cellar was on the first floor. That's right. Is that right? Yes, that was our first joke. <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> uh, so I, I when I left college, uh, a, a naive young man. Um, I, I, I kind of had a hankering to do something like that comedy. I was a shy kid, so it was, it was, uh, you know, it was unlikely that I was going to end up in something like that. But were myself, you, were my you friends, funny and shy, or just yeah, shy? funny and shy? I think, yeah. Right. And amongst my own friends, like we made each other laugh a lot, you know. And uh, um, a friend of mine had spent a summer in London, and he'd, he'd been visiting the comedy store. And for him, this was like, you know, this was the mecca. Uh, and he was and flying at the time. He'd wasn't seen it? the light exactly, and he, he he like it was as far back as he saw people like um, R- Rick Mayall and Ed yeah, Edmondson yeah, there, yeah. and we were watching the young ones on television. And for me, that was like an absolute groundbreaking show, and it, it really did inspire us. This generation of Irish comics, like there was no comedy scene in Dublin, and it was flying in London. So we tried to import that kind of aesthetic or whatever you know it was that kind punk of vibe. wasn't it it was punk it, yeah and, and its flow was that it didn't have a flow yeah that's right and we even like we were very pretentious people at the time like we even had a manifesto when we started you know like the kind of ground rules for alternative comedy in Dublin and uh, there was about four or five of us involved and it was a brilliant time like no one was making a living out of it or anything but you know, we, 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 we didn't mind. Like, it was all about the love of it and, you know, making each other laugh. And that's how it started for me. It's funny you talk about pretension because I think one of, the, one of the rites of passage is for us to have um, what is viewed as pretension retrospectively at the time, which isn't at all. It's just super confident. We don't give a monkey. Yeah, and, and, you know, you, you do feel that you can, you can like, re- reconceive the world, you know. Yeah. Uh, you can change the world. You really believe that as, as a kid, you know. And, it's your uh, job to believe that, isn't no, it? No, absolutely. And it's, re- and it's really important. It's also important to realise eventually that you can't. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, but you need to put that bit off for as long as possible. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> like, absolutely. Don't you wish you could still think like that now? No, absolutely. Because you're, the, the kind of things you're not worried about at that age is making a living or paying a how about, mortgage. How about or anything? Or anything. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, you know, you do have the slight existential dread which I don't think you could survive without in the arts you know what I mean you always have to be willing uh, or have a have a kind of I don't know what it is like to st- you know you want to stare into the abyss you know what I mean you you, you can't be squeamish as a comedian or a writer yeah, you know yeah. you have to be able to you know sort of see the joy but also see the horror you know and, and this is why you know we, we don't go to a conventional job Well it's great to see you Thank you very much awesome, for having me. Awesome, awesome. Bruha published this Thursday, 26th of May. You can pre-order it now. That was Ardlow Hanlon. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. He's a classical musician turned public policy analyst turned happiness expert. If that's not enough, he's just authored his 12th book, From Strength to Strength, which we've all read from cover to cover. And here to tell us more, it's king of the books, Arthur C. Brooks. <laughs> nice, Jane. Good morning, Arthur. Good morning, Chris. How are you? Um, the legendary Chris Evans. Well, my goodness me, the legendary Arthur C. Brooks. So who's the guy on the plane? Come on. I uh, can't tell Come you. Come on! Oh, it would be indiscreet. <laughs> Besides, I'm adverse to lawsuits. <laughs> right. Uh, for people who don't know, why am I referencing a man on a plane? It's the man who changed my life. It's uh, I was on a plane eight years ago. I was the 
president of a, a think tank, which for your listeners who don't know, that's a, a research organization like a university without students in Washington, D.C. It was a, a CEO traveling around feeling like a real big shot, but I didn't have any end game and I was feeling pretty insecure. I was 50 years old thinking, where does this end? What am I supposed to do with my life? And I heard a man behind me on the plane explain to his wife. I could tell he was elderly. He was speaking to, I assumed it was his wife, explaining that he might as well be dead. And his wife saying, oh, it's not true. And he said, nobody remembers me anymore. And I thought, oh, this poor guy, he's been forgotten. He probably actually never amounted to much. He's disappointed. The lights went on at the end of the flight and everybody stood up and I turned around. He was one of the most famous men in the world. <laughs> a hero, a great man doing 10 times with his life as much as me. And I thought to myself, what is my plan? So I will not be explaining to my long suffering wife, Esther, some 30 or 40 years hence that I might as well be dead. And I put together a plan as a social scientist, my retirement plan for happiness, which is this book. Um, and it's amazing. So thanks to him. Imagine if you hadn't got on the flight. I think you'd have probably arrived at a similar point anyway, don't you? It's hard to say. You need a catalytic event. You know, some people get sick. Some people lose somebody that they love. It's usually a trying thing, but you're on a particular path. You need a, an inflecting experience that'll... Okay. Uh, your book uh, starts with some great phrases. Uh, none of this is easy. It's hard to teach an old striver new tricks because we we think we're meant to strive and therefore we become a striver and then we feel like we're running out of striving juice as it were but that's okay yeah yeah you know the problem is that what makes you good is not something that you can maintain and you know there's a lot of i'm a social scientist i teach happiness at harvard university believe it or not <laughs> and but you know people ask what do you teach they and i say happiness they think i'm lying how can that possibly be a, only americans right could have a subject like this and one of the things that you find is is that what people who are real strivers, hard workers, excellent people, my students, you, a lot of people listening to us who really want to do a lot with their lives, they get better and better and better in their 20s and 30s, but things start to get harder in their 40s and 50s. And this has to do with the structure of intelligence. There's a thing called fluid intelligence that gets better in your 20s and 30s and worse in your 40s and 50s. And if you don't understand that, you're going to have a lot of frustration facing you. You need to get on a second intelligence curve, and that's what this this book is really all about. Your happiness retirement plan requires getting on your second curve. So that's crystallized. Exactly right. Okay. Which comes in your 40s and 50s, stays high in your 60s and 70s, but it's a different set of skills and you need a different set of disciplines in your life to get there. Now, I sense this happiness that you're talking about, this second wave, this second curve. And we've been talking about it all morning ahead of you coming in and we've had loads of reaction already. And we've been playing clips of From Your Friendship, Connor on Rich's podcast. Um, I feel... Like it's a, it's a, I wouldn't say a better happiness because that's too judgmental and too pejorative on my former years and other people in, in uh, of similar ages. But it feel it feels um, uh, more wholesome. Mm. It feels more holistic, and you you speak to that in your book as well. But is that because I'm just so darn relieved that it's still okay? <laughs> it has a lot to do with the fact that your second happiness curve, your second success curve, has everything to do with serving others and having better relationships with other people. Your first, your fluid intelligence curve, where you're excellent at what you're doing, you're an individual, you're a ninja, you're a, you know, you're, you're like a, a, a big star, a cowboy. You know, this is how we like to think of it in the States, at least. You come up and you, and later when it starts to diminish, you got to get on the second curve, which is your otherness curve, your wisdom curve, your teacher. It's your Dalai Lama curve, basically. Chris, you're on your Dalai Lama curve. No wonder you're happy. <laughs> it's so funny because we have um, two ladies who invented the AstraZeneca vaccine in tomorrow because they've got uh -huh. their book out. And the first person blurbing on that book is me. And the first blurbing on your book is, in fact, the Dalai Lama. Yeah. And therein lies the difference. Um, how the heck did you get him to blurb your book? Yeah, I, for the last 10 years, I've had a very close and loving relationship with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. He's been my teacher and mentor and friend. We've written together many times, and we've done a lot of public events together. When I, when I talked to him about this particular book, he was happy. Now, it is the calmest blurb ever, by the way. The Dalai Lama doesn't say, this book changed my life. How could it? He says, Arthur, Brooks, if he did. Arthur Brooks has written a book about how we how we grow and change, which is pretty descriptive and calm, but he's the Dalai Lama. He is the Dalai Lama. How did you forge that relationship with him? Well, I was thinking some years ago about the people that I wanted to know to 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 really to project myself into the future and to to be able to I'm a happiness guy. I want a big I want to get a bigger audience. I want to start a movement of people around the world who are obsessed with happiness for themselves and for other people. Who do I need to know? And so I wrote to His Holiness the Dalai Lama to his team and said, if I come to Dharamsala in the Himalayan foothills to your monastery, will you see me? 
And he said, yes. And so I actually went there, went to, you know, Delhi and then Amritsar and then drove up six hours. I almost hit a goat. And when I finally got to Dharamsala and he saw me for an hour, we had this beautiful meeting of the minds and we've been friends ever since. You have a real stillness about it and you also have a real lightness of touch, you know, and that's really important when getting any kind of message across, especially the, the message of happiness. If people come and see you at Harvard, can, can they spend like three years on a happiness degree? How does it work? Well, I teach happiness at the Harvard Business School, right. which is really the craziest thing. You'd think that I was teaching supply chain management or something incredibly practical like that. But I get the students in their last semester before they graduate and go work, become titans of private equity and hedge funds and all that important stuff. And they're realizing that they're actually not on a trajectory to be happy. They're on a trajectory to be rich and powerful and and perhaps famous, but not necessarily happy. And that is a big skill that's lacking. And so I put in their, their toolkit this happiness plan so that each decade of their life they have a fighting chance of actually becoming happier people, not just richer and more powerful people. And it's it's one of the most it's one of the most popular classes at Harvard at this point because people are recognizing how important that is for their lives. Arthur Seabrook's New York Times bestselling author. Got to get this book from Strength Strength. Thank you so much, Arthur. Thank you, Chris. Great thank being you, with you. Thank you, Vassos. Uh, thank you, Rachel. Thank you, team. And uh, we'll see you all on Wednesday. Goodbye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Aussie Jane, who may they be? These wonder women are the reason why billions of life-saving doses of Oxford AstraZeneca have been distributed around the world. Here to recount their race against COVID-19 in the paperback edition of Vaxxers, please give a mighty cheer to the vaccine queens, Professor Dame Sarah Gilbert and Dr. Catherine Green. All right. Good morning, ladies. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Welcome. How are you both? Very well. Very good. Yeah. We are glad we're not breakfast DJs, though, because, you know, that's an early start for us. Yeah, it's uh, (laughs) pretty manic here. Uh, But you are medical professionals. Um, No, we are not medical professionals. We are scientists. scientists. Okay. We're not commenting on anybody's blood pressure. Why not? Because you must have a bit, you must know a bit more about blood pressure than we do. Seriously? Zero? Would you like to? Shall we take yours now? No, Come on, that would be we're fun. We save middle-aged women who got yeah. up early. Uh, well, you're both geniuses. Uh, we love you to death. Uh, we also get a mention in your book, um, don't we, Sarah? You do, yeah. Because um, we did an interview with you, with you before, and you really liked the book, and um, we were really pleased to hear that. It says here: Chris Evans enthused, James O'Brien grilled, and Lorraine chatted. <laughs> How has been the experience of uh, writing the book compared to what you do usually for a living, Catherine? Well, I think it's been a really good opportunity for us to tell a story, um, which science is often about data and facts. And Mm. this particular story, I think, needed some storytelling as as well as data and facts. We hope we did a bit of both in the book um, and to get the opportunity to update it because obviously a year had passed since the first yeah. hardback edition um, to cover some of the things that had gone on within that year, vaccine side effects, vaccination in pregnancy um, and... And children and, global, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, vaccinations for children and global problems with distribution. You know, some serious stuff in there as well as, you know, the fact that we had some fun and went to some Yeah, no, it's, it's, but it's serious, it's serious and it's sort of... But, and it's serious and it's really interesting. Uh, Sarah, can you give us the headlines of what you've discovered uh, since? Well, we've been following the outbreak of um, new variants um, since we finished writing the original version of the book. So when we stopped, that was in March of 2021. And then we started to see a lot of new variants of the coronavirus circulating and they were more transmissible and they were infecting people more. But because a lot of people were vaccinated, people were getting infected, but they just have a cold. Like we used to have a cold before the pandemic and not really worry about it very much. That's really what happens to most people when they're vaccinated now and they encounter one of the new variants. So we're moving to a situation where this virus isn't going to go away, but it's not going to cause us anything like the problem that it did in 2020 because people have got better protection against it now. Uh, there are also new drugs that have been developed that we can use for people who do start to get more ill. We know a lot more about dealing with people who are seriously ill with the virus if they're vulnerable. Uh, but the vaccinations have really stopped people, most people, from having serious illness. And that means we can go back to living our lives like we used to. Yeah, a couple of potential sideswipes, of course, happened um, have happened in the last 12 months. Uh, a couple of potential sort of tank slappers as you might say in motorsport one would be Omicron which you've just alluded to Um, um, but what you'd very quickly discovered in the scientific community is that this was more um, likely to produce these symptoms of a cold than pneumonia for example that would be the difference the new variants had different different effects on on the body 
Um, and again, we're not medical professionals, so that's not really our area of expertise, but it was clear that the, the, the places where it was infecting in the lungs was different. They spread very easily, but they're more likely to infect you in, in the nose and in the throat than, yeah. than in the lungs. So, yes, you're right, you'll, you'll get a cold, but you're less likely to get pneumonia. Because, you know, in the weeks, you know, in and around November, December and Christmas, you know, we were all a bit worried, weren't we? Um, you, yeah, you, it was you back, talk, wasn't it? Yeah, you talk about this in your book. It's like we all knew... We, we, that was the period where we knew more people that currently had COVID COVID than didn't have COVID yeah, yeah. and it just seemed like everybody was getting yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the schools particularly, my daughter's 11 now and they hadn't been vaccinated at that time and it was ripping through the schools in Oxfordshire so everybody was was catching it from them and it's worrying again, wasn't it? Because you're worried about your vulnerable yeah. people, you're worried about your elderly parents um, and didn't know what, you can't predict the future, we didn't know where it was going. Yeah, and yeah. you talk about the pandemic being replaced by the pandemic. <laughs> Which itself was a huge problem. Yes, yeah. Yeah, the fact that so many people were getting pinged to say, oh, you're a contact, so you can't come to work. Yeah. And so that was all for, for good reason, to stop try and stop things spreading. But that also had effects on healthcare services mm. and businesses. Yeah, and, and mental know. health and all yeah, this pressure I mean, and childcare and everything else. But it's, yeah. yeah, and this all has to be planned for next time, yeah. When we start to think about what we've learned from this, yeah. is to not only think about the, the medical consequences of a pandemic, but all of that peripheral things that were hugely challenging to all of us to you guys having to record from home. I mean, everybody's business was affected in some way, and everyone's personal life. Yeah, I think was that's affected, yeah. so, that's so interesting because you know you, you knew the anatomy of a virus beforehand, and you were ready for it. And you well, were... this was a new virus. Nobody knew the anatomy yeah. of this virus. No, no but, you, but no, but you were well schooled in viruses and what might happen and what you might be challenged by and confronted by. But what none of us knew was how it would play out you know in real life which is all the variables that you're that you're referring to um and it was it was balls in the air spinning place it still is to a certain extent yeah yeah i mean it's still it's not completely over you know we're definitely over the worst but that you know there's still uh, lots to do to get over the effect that COVID's had on us. And what we're concentrating on now is doing everything we can to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Because we learned a lot in 2020 about how to do things better, how to go faster, how to try and stop a disease spreading before it could get to everybody. And there will be other outbreaks of other viruses in the future. And what we really need to do is to be as well prepared as possible to get on top of that straight away and stop it before it can get around the world and, and cause another pandemic. Um, because of your profile and because of what you've achieved, uh, a certain aspects of your future is secured. Is that right from a financing point of view? Uh, my own position at the university is now secured, but my research group, no, I'm doing a lot of what I'm still writing grant applications. We have a new institute, Pandemic Sciences Institute, because we want to do more on this for future preparedness. That's not um, fully funded yet. So we're still working really hard to to um, get the, the investment that we need for that. All right. And Catherine, would you like to say anything else to everybody listening before you no, depart? I don't think I do. It's like it's it's. Some good comes from always some bad. And as long as we look backwards and learn some lessons so that as we go forward, we can go into a brighter future, I think that um, we'll all be OK together, won't we? So reverse understand to forward engineer. Something, <laughs> Something like, like that. that. <laughs> um, give our love to Phil and Holly, because you're on this morning, this morning. Great to meet you both. Thank you. Thank you. You're absolutely awesome. And the paperback edition of the Vaxers, or Vaxers, uh, Sarah Gilbert and Catherine uh, Green is at now. A pioneering moment in scientific history updated with a brand new chapter and a brand new prologue. The story of the decade, says the Mail on Sunday. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Fancy some Friday fried eggs, Saturday sea bass, Sunday spaghetti. We've got just the thing for you. The Weekend Cook is her first recipe book in over 10 years and invites you straight into her East End home. Here to make our mouths water, it's super chef Angela Hartnett. Hi, Ange. <laughs> Hi, how, how are, are you, Chris? Very well, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Now, uh, of course, if you're a chef and you come on this show and you you know, you know, dare to darken our doorstep, you have to bring <laughs> in some food. You brought in some Welsh cakes, but because I've read your book, they're, uh, not, they're not yours, are they? No, they're not, they're not. Well, I'll be honest, Chris, I was yesterday working all day and I thought, oh my God, what am I going to make him? So I wake up this morning, I look through and I thought, hey, Welsh 
cakes. They're quick. They're easy. They're fresh. They were literally made less than an hour ago. Right. So fresh. whose are they? So they're John, my neighbour. Yeah. He's amazing. He's from Wales. His amazing recipe, and he's given it to me for my book. So they are delicious. Okay. And hubby features quite heavily as well. Hubby Neil features very heavily. Tell a us lot about of Neil's Neil. Recipes. Tell yeah. us about Neil and his expertise and his his <laughs> his his uh, I don't know his super powers in the kitchen. Are you just trying to say I've written nothing in this book? Is no, that what no, you're no, 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 no. Because <laughs> no, I, by the way, I love your intro. It's cool. We'll Thank get onto you. that in a moment or two. Yeah. But tell us about Neil. So Neil, uh, yeah, Neil and I what married four years now and um, works at the French house. But Neil's great. I always say, and everyone says I'm being, you know. Uh, being humble but I'm not I think he is a much better cook than me he's just one of these natural goes in the cupboard adds little things to it which I would never think because yeah. I'm like oh, just get it on the plate come on we've got to eat let's move but he just has those little touches so yeah, it's great but, so you've, but you've used the word cook cook for, you know, for cook, see chef? No, not necessarily. No, I think cook's a great word. I like being called a cook. No, I, I think don't. it's great, but I think he may be more of a cook and you may, may be more of a chef. I'm just trying to help yeah. you out with the nuance here. <laughs> just trying to give you a lifeboat. Hey, Ange. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. Um, so, Welsh cakes. I've got a fresh cup of tea on the go here. I think they're perfect with Do that, I dip or do I... What do I do? I think you don't dip. Don't dip the first bite and then after that maybe dip. Because it's that thing, you know, are things biscuits, are they cakes? Well, this is this is both, isn't it? This is both. This is the tricky thing. I should have bought you a pack of butter because that's what you do. Oh, you put no. a little bit of butter on as oh, well. I know. You know, exactly. Actually, I'm going to have this in a sec because it, it will... Crumble. My ability to speak and uh, that mad dentist who took my canines out when I was nine has already done me uh, down that street. So I need all the help I can get. Do you know about that story? No. Yeah, I thought about it last <laughs> night again. That's why I got a wonky jaw because this mad dentist took my canines out when I was nine because he thought it might be a good idea. I'm not sure he was a dentist. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, the Weekend Cook, you opened it with this amazing, this great story about where you live and about the fact that cooking in the kitchen at home and at the weekend is entirely different from a mindset point yeah. of view than cooking in the kitchen at work. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, everyone says, you you know, it's like Bossman's holiday. You know, do you go home and do a set sort of thing? Um, and I love cooking at home. There's no pressure. There's no one sort of paying you money to cook Get for you. Get a glass of wine on exactly, the go. Exactly, exactly. You've got a glass of wine. You've got Virgin Radio in the background. Come it's, on, yes, it's a, and, and you can relax and you take your time and it's just brilliant and friends around. And I love it when people bring stuff and we sort of share a bit of the cooking. And, and also I like, you know, I do cook a lot at the weekend. And so if we've got something or there's more of it, we'll always just ring or text a few neighbours and say, come on over, come and have something to eat, etc. So I think it's really easy. I love it. Uh, I love it too. And, um, you know, it took a... It's it took a while to compose and compile, not because it was an arduous task, just because you were taking your time about it, and it sort of had this natural evolution to it, um, as far as the story is concerned. And the pictures were not dissimilar. So you, there are various pictures from various times when different people yeah. came round to your house. Yeah, yeah. Pictures of the pub. Yeah. Uh, tell us about those. Oh, so Sandra, she'll she'll call me afterwards. What are you saying? Talking about me on the radio? She's <laughs> local landlady, Sandra Escalant's been there for over forty four years at the Golden Heart. She's incredible. Anyone who knows that part of London will know Sandra. Oh, never been and I right. so want to go okay so that's our next date Chris I'm right. taking you to see Sandra deal. in the Golden Heart soon. that's a deal very soon okay go after this we'll yeah. just go down there um, and she you know Neil uh, to, not to bring down he had a bad accident quite a few years ago and rather than sort of come to the hospital every night she went to a local restaurant and bought me food yeah. and she goes you don't have time, time to cook and she'd come around with a pie from St John or something else from St yeah, and she was amazing she's like the pin you know the the pinnacle of the sort of community. Everyone knows her. She's the first to know if someone's unwell. She's the first to look after anyone. She's amazing. And, and you know, and even if she can't come around to dinner, if we've got something left over, Neil, every time we go, just save that little bit for Sandra. And he takes it round to her, you know, gives us something to eat. She's brilliant. Um, Marco Pierre-Y yeah. once shared with me the fact that um, if he ever wanted uh, to employ uh, a new person in the kitchen, yeah, um, be they an established chef, um, yeah. a sous chef, you know, or an apprentice, he would get them to do one thing. Do you know what that one thing was? Was it make an omelette? It was fry an egg. Oh, fry an egg. Just fry an egg. Yes, okay. Because done well, a it's thing of brilliant. beauty. It is. How would you fry an egg? Oh, I think I like my eggs crispy around yeah. the edge. So I think it's got to be. So here we go. A hot pan. Very hot pan. Butter. Hot as you dare. Yeah, butter. H how do you stop the butter from burning if the pan's so hot? 
Um, you bake, I don't see it really boiling hot. I right. think it's got to start to sort of, you know, as soon as the butter goes in, it sizzles. And you've got to have your egg ready. Crack it straight away. That will bring the temperature down, but it will still get a crispy side to it. Right. Add a little bit more butter. I don't like to turn it. I'd rather use a spoon, spoon. tilt the pan yep. and just coat it. And then I like to put a little bit of sage in there with my eggs. Right. as well so you've got fried eggs with some sage which are absolutely delicious okay and the more salt and pepper the more crispy the base the easier it's going to slide out onto the yes, plate exactly. so you're not going to split the yolk you and, know it you know it i know frying an egg is my thing i love it and it's a very judgmental i hate going to uh, you go out to someone have breakfast and it's like that white rubbery oh, it's it. not nice don't mess the egg up no it's got to be you know, crispy get the egg right or go home yes How about this? get the egg right or stay home <laughs> or get out of the business get out of my life Never coming here again. That's it. If you use unsalted butter, it also won't burn as much. No, salted butter. Or if you had a bit of olive oil to salted butter? No, I think go with the salted butter. Right. Yeah, definitely. I love you. Love you more. I actually do love you. You know that. Taking you to Sandra's. We'll get a date. We'll bring Venters and we'll go. You can take me to Sandra's and here's the thing. I never want to come back. (laughs) I just want to stay at Sandra's. I've had a great life. Three wonderful experiences. Yeah, stay in the golden heart. That's golden it. Heart. The weekend cook, Angela Hartnett. Our work Thank is you. done. Goodbye, everyone. This could be it. Mm. Goodbye, Vassos. <laughs> Goodbye, Rachel. Ta da. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Our next globe-trotting guest loves very fast cars and chasing the sunshine. Being lead commentator for Sky Sports F1 must be such a terrible job. Ready to rev us up for this weekend's Monaco Grand Prix with first practice coverage starting tomorrow, it's the Riviera's finest, Crofty. Good morning, Crofty! <laughs> hey. uh, bonjour, bonjour, tout le monde. Bonjour, tout le monde. How are you? I'm all right, mate. Sun's shining. Birds are singing. The Mediterranean looks lovely this morning. How's you? Yeah, can you see up very well? Can you see Monaco from the hotel they put you in? Uh, no, not quite. There's a big <laughs> rock in the way, sadly. It's, it's like a dividing line between what we can afford and what we can't afford. Oh, That's Monaco right. for you. Um, listen, um, it was all very exciting. It was exciting to a point, wasn't it, in Spain, in Barcelona last mm. week, and then until the Ferraris went pop. It was a big swing, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Charles Leclerc would have won that comfortably, I think, at a canter uh, for Ferrari. Uh, but his engine went bang after 26 laps. That's going to cost him later in the season because there's an engine out of the pool now that can't be used again. So there's grid penalties coming his way at some stage. Max Verstappen uh, sounded like a very frustrated young man for a lot of that race and then sounded like a very happy young man. At the end of it, um, he was 46 points behind Charles Leclerc at one stage this season, well, three races ago. He's now in the lead of the World Championship. How things can turn around in Formula One. Yeah, absolutely. But of course, it's all about the romance of Monaco this weekend. A very special um, diary for F1 when it's in Monaco because it's different, isn't it? The shape of the weekend is different. Well, everything's different. Um, it's I think Monaco these days is a bit of a grand procession. And whilst you don't get a lot of overtaking, and I'm not going to claim that it's going to be the best race in the world ever, because it probably won't be. um, It's a grand high-speed procession on streets that really aren't designed to take cars doing 190 miles an hour uh, and going within millimetres of the barriers lap after lap after lap. Anything can happen in Monaco. It often does. Uh, For Charles Leclerc, it's something of a curse. It's his home race but he's never finished in Formula One in his home race. He didn't even start last year. And he even in GP2, F2, he didn't finish then either. So I'm not quite sure whether he likes it or not. Uh, Max Verstappen doesn't mind it. He's won there. Lewis Hamilton has won there, but not as often as you think for a man who's won an awful lot of races. Uh, and could uh, George Russell become the 10th driver in Formula One history to win his maiden Grand Prix on the streets of Monte Carlo? All to play for, really. Yeah, to be honest, I wasn't referring to that, Crofty. I was talking about um, oh. the fact that you all jolly up on Friday because um, people... Cause... <laughs> That's what I meant by the, sh- the shape of the weekend, Ooh. because it's different, isn't you it? Can't tell, you can't tell people that we all go out onto yachts and drink champagne and enjoy the sunshine and, you know, stare at the beautiful scenery and eat canapes. I mean, I could do a whole Monaco weekend without using knife and fork, quite yeah, frankly, because that many canapes floating around. But it starts on Thursday, doesn't it? And they get Friday off. The teams well, get well, Friday it did. off. no. No, it did. Once upon a time, but because of the schedule this year, they changed it a bit. 
everything's going to change in Monaco in years to come. I, there is a, an argument that it's not quite as important to Formula One as it once was. Miami uh, coming on board, Vegas next year has rather taken the glitz and the glamour over to America a little bit. I think Formula One um, would quite like with their regional sustainable calendar for next year to shift this race by a couple of weeks so we could run a Miami Canada back to back. And that said, it is still amazing. Uh, it is still an absolute sellout this weekend, but it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, not a oh, Thursday. Didn't know that. Friday day off to recover from Thursday, Saturday, Sunday that we've had in the past. But that's why the teams used to like it. Yeah, it's why we used to like it as well. Thursday night was epic. It's gone all rubbish. We don't have to do anything on a Friday. Monaco's gone all rubbish on us. Oh. <laughs> well, no, it's not. Go- it's not gone rubbish. No, I'm going to be know. on a yacht this I'm evening. Being, I'm I've got a party so. to go to tomorrow night, and I've got another yacht to go to on Saturday night. You know, my diary's well, full of- it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it, Crofty. And of yes. course, you know, people were saying this week, you know, the the star quality won't be on the grid, but of course it will because the Cannes Film Festival hasn't changed, and that's still going on. And basically, <clears> everybody <throat> hops over from there to where you are for the weekend, and then they hot tail it off to wherever they need to be next. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's just it's a stopping point for major celebrities around the world. Don't ask me who's coming. I actually don't know yet, uh, to be fair. But I'm sure there'll be a few. I'm sure there'll be a few A-listers on the grid. Honestly, I have no idea who's coming. All right. Well, listen, have a great weekend. It is gorgeous. Um, one of the great things about Sky Sports F1 over the years is how you've developed the sort of around the race entertainment and the films. Um, any any clues as to what you might be getting up to this weekend from that point of view? Because I love I love the warm up. I almost love the warm more than the race when it comes to Monaco. I love the race yeah. still, but uh, I love what goes on around it. What are you up to? Uh, we've got we've got a special feature with Lewis Hamilton uh, where he talks about his Monaco and his experiences. Natalie is going out on a boat today with Max Verstappen uh, to have a bit of a chat about Max and to dig a little deeper into his personal life as well and find out, you know, who the real Max Verstappen is. Yeah. Uh, Nico Rosberg's going to be on a boat for most of the weekend. He's a bit like Captain Pugwash, uh, sat on his yacht. Um, and uh, and there will be a few more. Um, there'll be a few more features, including Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz uh, as new voice actors in, in a Pixar movie. Uh, we'll be talking a bit about that as well. Yeah, they've... Um, They've uh, got a starring role in the new Lightyear film, nice. but the one in Spain and the one in Italy, good. which is quite cool, really. Frankly. Having been in a Disney movie myself, it's rather a good thing. Who hasn't been in a Disney movie, frankly, in this business? Uh, uh, Vassos. Oh, no, Vassos no, has, been in, We've all been in them. But it's whether you're in the worldwide version or just the English version, that's the thing. You've been in loads uh, because yeah. of what you do for a living. <laughs> Can you get Natalie to ask, ask Max about the two Max Verstappens? The, the nice one, Max Verstappen, and the other one, Mad mm-hmm. Max Verstappen. <laughs> yes well that's what she's got to start with that yeah, where mad, was your head last yeah. weekend and where is you know you were mad max yeah and mad, then you were nice mad max verstappen and max verstappen anyway uh crofty yeah. lovely to talk to you have, have, a, have a lovely day what's on the agenda this morning uh what's on the agenda well i'm going for a run along the coast in catfarat saint jean one of my favorite places on the planet uh so i'm going to go run all the way up to the top of the hill uh, back down again and i might take a, a croissant or two uh <laughs> by the pool and <laughs> And, uh, and mosey on into the track. I love it. I love it. So you go for a run. I always call it Saint Jean Caffarat. Is it Caffarat Saint Jean? Oh, no, no, it's Saint Jean Caffarat. Have you ever yeah. actually been? Are you, he's not going there, is he? He's just, he's just, he's I just I'll tell Evans that. No, I'll, I'll tell then I'll justify nice. a couple of, my virtual run, I'll justify a couple of real croissant. Um, <laughs> Crofty, we love I'll, you. Have a great time. I'll send you a picture no, to prove don't. how I went for a run. Oh, all right. Okay, do that, yeah. Monaco Grand Prix this Sunday from 12.30 p.m. Sky Sports F1. First practice tomorrow from 12.30 p.m. Watch all races live and exclusive on Sky Sports F1. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.